Welcome back to Build the Tinker, episode 10. This week, we're going to talk about what makes a deck successful or what makes a successful deck. Either way you want to look at it. But before we get into that, how's your week been, Russ? It's been a really good week. Um, played some cards, uh, rebuilt my Reaper King deck. Well, tinkered it really since it was only like eight cards, right? Yep, so, got to stay uh, on theme there. <laughs> so we're going to get a, We're going to give it a go tomorrow and see how it goes. Nice. Yeah, I am not going to be able to play this week because uh, it's my wife's birthday. So going to have to 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 take that day off. But hopefully we can get some spell table games in. But yeah, outside of that, I think it's been a pretty interesting week. Getting ready for some Modern Horizons two pre releases. So that should be fun here in a, in a week or so, two weeks, something like that. Yeah, after I take out a loan to buy some. That's that's very true. I'm still trying to figure out what to buy because everything is just literally twice as expensive as it was before. But right. that may be a topic for a future episode, just how to acquire cards. I think something on our list to talk about. But until then, kind of continuing our discussion from last week, what makes a successful deck? And I know we kind of left it lingering last week that Killian was a, you know, it did what it was designed to do, but it didn't work, but it did work, but it wasn't fun, but it wasn't fun because you didn't like it. But, you know, all right. of that kind of wrapped into, it got us talking about, what makes a successful deck? And kind of to take a step back and look at the math of it, if you're consistently playing in a four-player pod, any given deck has a one in four chance of winning, right? So that's about 25% mm -hmm. if all things are being equal, which we can talk about that at the end, how some things aren't equal. But 25% of the time you're going to win, which means 75% of the time you're not. And that is batting average numbers, right? A, a major league baseball player strives to get a 300 batting record, which means that they're striking out seven out of 10 times. Correct. And it's very close here. So... One of the things that we kind of left on was, and I know you and I have had discussions about this, is I guess we'll start with the, the elephant in the room. Is winning everything? For some people, absolutely. For me, no. And as a commander player, as casual commander players, I don't think winning should be everything. It definitely, you know, as you're saying, you know, if you're, if you're batting 250, you know, in, in the major leagues, you're getting paid. Um, right. So, you know, as a commander player, as a casual commander player, if I sit down with my deck and I expect to win every single game, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. And at that point, you're going to automatically feel like your deck's not successful. You know, as a casual commander player, are you playing to win? And we, we kind of chatted about this off stream quite a bit was, I don't think it's playing to win. I think it's playing with a chance to win. Right, which is probably a slightly different, right? Because yes, if you wanted to go buy all the cards, you could build CEDH, you could tinker, tune it up as much as you could, tutor for your combos, get that out and win, you know, 50% of your games. But that would come at a cost. It'd probably come at the cost of the play group if, if that's how things go. Because if you're winning 50%, that means the other three people are winning 10%, right? 12%, whatever the math comes out to be, it is not their fair share. So kind of leaning on our discussion last week with Killian and, and a little bit on Ruxa as well, you know, it, you said that the deck just wasn't fun. It couldn't win. And do you think it was that it wasn't winning its fair share of the time? Was it a power level thing? Where do you kind of think that deck kind of laid out and maybe some of the other decks that you have that you play? So wasn't fun probably is not the ideal terminology there. It did not feel in the games that it was playing that it had a fair chance to win. So okay. let's say we go from 
from a good chance to win, which we'll say is our average, our, our 250, our 25%. Right. To say, so maybe I felt like Killian was maybe going to win. We'll, we'll go with how about one in eight. So, okay. we're, so we're going from a 25% chance to a 12.5% chance of winning. Dropping down to that one in eight wins, was I enjoying playing that deck enough for me to consider that one in eight win to be a successful deck? And I, I would say for Killian, that answer was no. For my other decks, I have a Yarrick deck that is a <laughs> can be a frustrating uh, mess, but... I love playing that deck. It's it, it takes a long time to develop. People are afraid of Yarrick, so you get you know people go, oh god, Yarrick's on the field. We got to do something. So I maybe win say one in six with Yarrick, and unless I get frustrated, I always have fun and I feel like it's a successful deck. And I'm okay with that one in six wins. I maybe I'd be okay at maybe one in eight with that deck. Um, right. So it, because I enjoy that play, I enjoy building that engine. I enjoy those things. So that becomes fun to me. Um, sort of like, you know, one of your decks that it's win percentage is very interesting is your super friends deck, right? right. So, you know, and that's, that's a deck that you play that, you know, is, is a complex multi-layered deck, but you like to pull that one out regularly. So what is it about that? Do you feel like that's a successful deck? Yeah, I think that deck can win or it fails miserably, right? And anybody who's, it's a five color super friends. I've, I played with Joda. I built it with Joda. I, I've now built it with um, the world, not Asika. the world tree. Um, Asika, yeah. So the idea being that it's five colors, I really don't have a strategy in there outside of, I wanted to play with a lot of planeswalkers. So because of that, the way the deck plays is it's super random every single time. And Asika makes it even more random when you cast it because you're just going to flip over whatever's on the top and put it onto the field. I do have extra turns in there, but there's times when I don't see a single planeswalker. There's like 21 in there and I only see one the entire game before I die. And that's because I have no other creatures. It does one thing, but I enjoy that randomness on that deck. So it's one of those either feast or famine. It's going to win, you know, in fantastical fashion where I'm taking six extra turns, getting out 27 planeswalkers and everybody's kind of like, yeah, you got this. Or I sit there and I do nothing and I'm like, cool, I'm doing nothing, which is right. fine because I have fun playing that deck. I don't play that deck to win. If it wins, cool. I play it to have fun where I think other decks I have, I definitely do play to win, which is to say like my, you know, my golems deck, I want to get golems on the field, pump them up with counters and hit people with it. I want to win with that. It can win. And to that point, it has that same percentile of winning, you know, and I think that's an interesting piece. I don't necessarily build decks to win off the bat. I build them to see, is this a fun mechanic first? And then if the answer is yes, I go in to say, can I make this win? And I guess, how do you approach the deck building to start with? Is you know, what is that first factor for you? So the, the first thing that I have found, like with the decks that I try to build, which there's a lot of humor value in that, is <laughs> I try to find a commander that just looks really interesting to me. I opened a pack and there was the Reaper King. And I was like, oh man, that I love the art on that card. It's kind of a neat idea. So I started putting together a pile of cards. I guess when I try to build a deck, what I'm looking for 
is to find a way to utilize the cards that I already have in a different way than the decks I already have built. Because I'm still kind of new. I mean, I've been playing Commander for, you know, just over a year now, give or take. So, you know, for a while I was still just rebuilding precons, which that was kind of, that was a good teaching moment, right? You take a precon, it's got two or three different little possible avenues and you slim that down to, to one avenue. So playing the precons and finding that that interesting path is kind of what I've continued with with my deck building is I'm looking for that interesting path, you know, and, and for me, the win the win idea is, is I want I would love to sit at that one and four. I would like to see a deck win one and four. If a deck wins too much, then the pod groans when you pull it out. So you kind of think, all right, well, if I'm going to play like um, like Cathrol was probably the first precon that I completely re, you know, kind of gutted and, and, and worked through with you specifically, you know, and I liked that. And it's kind of funny because we were talking about Voltron. Cathrol is in her own way kind of a, a unique form of graveyard right. Voltron. So, you know, and I enjoy playing her, but nobody wants to play against that all the time. So going back to that, so I feel like, so when I'm building, I'm trying to find that one path that I think is going to be fun. I would rather lose every single game in style and having a, you know, what I mean, right. doing doing my thing. Yep. Even if I'm losing, I'm still having fun because I'm doing my thing. I'm influencing the board. So, you know, and I guess that's one of the aspects in deck building for me is, am I going to influence the table? Am I, is what I'm doing going to be successful in that, the deck is going to do what I what I built it to do, and if what I've built it to do is make big green stompy creatures, am I making big green stompy creatures? And if so, is that the first measure of success? Right. So a couple of things on that. I guess going back to the precons, that's an interesting discussion because the precons, especially the most recent ones, the the twenty dollar ones with call time, the the elves, the um, Raynar one, a lot of those are are very decent out of the box they're definitely playable and they've won at our table just straight out of the box before but there's also been a precon that you bought recently that you played you were like well this is not fun at all i have i don't know what's going on it's not enjoyable when you open that precon and you play it is that first impression super important to you or are you willing to give a deck a chance of i'm going to give it the five games that we we always say you know give a deck five games before you start tinkering it because one bad hand is fine you know, what are your thoughts on that? That particular deck was just so far outside of my style. You know, when, when you open up a new precon, you shuffle it up, you sleeve it, you shuffle it up because we're not savages. We're going to put sleeves on our cards. <laughs> and yes. so you shuffle it up and you go to play it, you know, and I guess I've kind of run into this playing some of the decks you've built for me, because in a way it's sort of like a precon. How many of the cards do I see that are working with the commander? Right. When I played that, Oh, it's Mystic Intellect was the, was right. the name yeah, of Right, yeah, time. yeah, yeah. The uh, wanted spells in the graveyard and recast them, all that fun stuff. So the first game, the deck literally did nothing. It was just none of the cards that I drew were playable based on the way I ramped out. They didn't really tie into the commander. So I was like, wow, this just, you know, this doesn't really make sense. I don't really see where this is going. So I pulled out Savine, which was the, the cover commander. I pulled out Elsha. Elsha of the Infinite? 
is her name maybe yeah Alesha right. I, I don't know anyway yeah, Alesha so yeah. she's the monk 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 warrior or something right. like that which they're if you go online and look up that commander she has a 15 1600 decks right. um so she was obviously the commander that people loved in that deck so I tried playing her as the commander and again it just it just didn't draw out right um, so I broke it down into its, its constituent parts. I went through cards. I looked at it and I just didn't, I just wasn't feeling the deck, I guess. Right. So yeah. that was the first pre-con that I've just been like, you know what? I got my, my pet card out of it and I'm happy. You know, other pre-cons like. Lathril, the elves. Lathril. Lathril yeah, I mean, man, that is golly, like your that, elf deck now. Yeah. That deck is great. It, you know, playing that out. That's one thing that I've seen these $20 pre-cons are much more focused. Right. They're definitely extremely new player friendly. And the only one, the ones that I have bought, I've had fun playing. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting piece because they are cheaper and the, the $40 pre-cons, which we know they just came out right a month ago, they tend to have, let's add 12, 20, 30 new cards to this commander set where the, the $20 ones might add two. But they're only right. designed to add a commander, maybe one other card or something, not an Archaeomancer's map or any of these other like game-breaking, redefining type cards, which because of that, you're right, I think probably are a little more balanced, a little more focused, but I'm not buying the the, the you know C20, C21 pre-cons to keep them together. I'm buying them because I want those three cards that are not found anywhere else. And that's an interesting piece you said, because when I played the Mystic Intellect deck the first time, it won for me because I was able to recur a board wipeout that saved the game, saved the board. I was like, wow, this is super cool. This is super fun, but it never happened again. And I think that's that's kind of a, another interesting point to kind of t- take this on is, you know, a deck that wins on its first play, is that good or bad? Right. If you get that perfect combo, if you get that perfect hand, that perfect synergy the first time you play. And I joke with you on on the um, Reaper King because you've pulled that world tree. Every game you play, you have that world tree, which means your lands can do anything. And in a five color deck, lands tap for any color is super useful. But I keep telling you the one time, you know, if you don't pull that for 10 more games, what's your strategy there? Right. So what are your thoughts on that kind of that first win, first impression? I won. This deck is awesome versus you know, kind of, I didn't feel it type of thing. Right. And, and it's, it's not quite the same as we talked about, but that, that is, if you win the first game, is that influence you? Do you think? I think so. I think it, it, it's positive reinforcement, right? Right. I mean, that's, so you bring out a deck, you play and you win. It's like, wow, that's great. And to be honest there, you know, people joke about it, but there are times when you pull out that deck, you play it and it does that one really cool combo, that one thing that you built into it that you thought, you know, man, if this ever happens, I'm just going to be like, yes. And then you play it the first time and it happens. And you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is going to happen every time. Right. So it, it does have a roller coaster effect with it. But I feel like if you come out and have that ex- an extremely negative experience the first time you play a deck, you can recover from that severely negative experience. You play it a second time and you have another really negative experience. Then at that point, you're starting to lose faith in the deck. 
Because, you know, even if you're, okay, so let's let's back up and refine that. So you have a really negative experience the first time. You have no influence on the board, say, for instance. So you're right. you're not making the king. You're not, you know, you, you just feel like you've, you've done nothing. You know, we've all had those games. We've all had the, oh, God, I've got three lands. I can't, whatever. The game's gone 10 turns and I'm sitting over here, you know, contemplating what I'm going to go get for a snack. Right. But so say you play that first game and it's just an utter fail. So, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, I didn't see the cards. I didn't get a good hand. Maybe my shuffle was bad. You know, I saw three, my first hand had two lands and three sorceries. So maybe my shuffle was bad. So, you know, you can kind of, kind of carry that. Then the next game, if you're a little more successful, then you start feeling better about the, about the deck. But if it just goes, you know, one, you know, two, three, four, five games, if you get out past that, say that, that four to five range, if you haven't won, if you haven't felt like you truly influenced the game, I think in your mind at that point, the deck is going to feel unsuccessful. Yeah. And that's, and that influencing the game, we play Twilight Imperium about once a quarter, right? And, I, and if you haven't played that game, you know, for our listeners, it's, it's a very politic heavy game. And what almost always happens is the table, you know, five to six players pair off. And as long as somebody in your, I'll say, quote unquote, partnership wins, you feel like you won, even though you may have been destroyed. But the the idea there is you help somebody win. And you keep mentioning the idea of king making, right? Which is, hey, if, if I'm not going to win, I'm sure it's going to make sure somebody does or the person I want to, the person I think deserves it to win. And at that point, you're right. You are influencing the table. So is that where you consider to be a successful deck? Is Is whether or not you win or not is maybe less important than you feel like you had that impact on the table. And because of that, your partnership won, right? You're, you made that person win as opposed to not, you know, and that's the, uh, I guess, you know, it's the Alliance standpoint, right? Right. Um, If NATO wins, the Western world wins, you know, so you kind of, so I guess, I guess we have to look at it as levels of success, right? If, if winning is not our primary objective, you know, our objective is to play the game, with our group of people and to have fun, then the amount that you influence the fun is important. So yeah. if you were able to make an impact on the table, whether it's through your politics, maybe, you know, maybe your entire impact of the whole game is going, you know, this board's out of hand, I'm not getting anywhere. And you play that one board wipe that clears the board and everybody goes, yes. Or, you know, or, or, or everybody goes, no, you know, right. so you play that one board wipe and suddenly the game's going another two hours long. <laughs> and everybody's like, why did you do that? But that's no, I, right. I get the, I get the sentiment there that you control that board. You're part of it. You're impacting it. So how much of that does your play group impact all of that? And, right. and is having a consistent play group more valuable than always playing with random opponents? So, uh, so the pickup game versus the team. Right. Yes. So, and I, I think that has an impact too on, all right. So, so say we're, when we go to the game store, when we go to the game store, um, we do tend to have, you and I tend to play in a pod together or our friend Brian and you, or, you know, we, we tend to, to kind of have two of our regular players, in one of the pods that we play in. So we don't truly play for, you know, we don't play the full three, three man pickup kind of thing. So there is a certain amount of camaraderie in that sense, but that doesn't mean that we try to help each other win. 
um, which we usually don't. But um, right. so, but the, but that's the thing is, all right. If you have an established play group, you get used to people's play styles, their play patterns. Maybe last game Markel won, so this game, all right, I'm not going to win. But you know what? He's not going to win either. So I'm going to go after Pete, or Pete just won two in a row. So we're going to team up and make sure Pete doesn't win the third game. You know that sort of thing. So um, is that a good? behavior pattern i don't know um. so i think it's i think it is good i think it's interesting though in if you start changing your decks because of your play group and i know the command zone talks about this quite a bit like hey if your play group is playing a lot of this you know these are great cards to put in you know they talk about like graveyard if you have a lot of graveyard players always have graveyard hate available to you you know i'm i'm not a big fan of that and i know we've had discussions in our play group of all right if we're going to be doing this guys i need to go change all my decks now to add more x right if this is what we're doing i need to go change my decks and that is suddenly not my deck anymore right i am now changing my decks to fit the play group when the deck could have been perfectly viable before but the play group is changing and i guess that's kind of where we'll have to 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 leave it off here at the end it's kind of what are your thoughts on that is this do you tinker your deck for your play group or do you tinker your deck for you all right so tinkering your deck for your play group is Cold War. It's daytime. It's mutually assured destruction. Right. Right. You're it's it's an escalation. It's all right. All right. Well, <clears throat> you know, I've my now everybody's running 15 targeted removal. Okay, well, I've got blue. Now I've got to put in five counter spells because I can't deal with this targeted removal. So it, it just that just ratchets up and ratchets up. When I what I've tried to do is tinker my decks to smooth out the edges to so like take take anala for instance um anala is probably my favorite deck because she has the deck the deck that i built has so many options you know there is one brutal infinite combo 90 percent of the time that doesn't show well, actually, it's more than 90 percent of the time it doesn't show right. up you don't have to, you don't tutor for it right it's not <laughs> right it's not no i con. no we've we've discussed me and tutors right. <laughs> um but it you know it's a four-part combo but anala I adjusted Anala and I've tinkered it and I've moved cards in, moved cards out for me because I, if I start seeing the same stuff happening over and over and over in the deck, then it's like, well, it's losing the thing about the deck that I loved in that it does something different every game. It's an efficient, it's an effective deck. Every, you know, okay, every, nobody has a perfect game all the time. I and mean, we have, you know, you get mana hosed, you get flooded, you get, you know, yep. there's all those things, but you have to adjust for that in your head. You can't base how well a deck is succeeding if you've if you have enough ramp pieces in there. You know, it, it just happens. But that deck, I adjust for me. I don't adjust for the people I'm playing against. I have adjusted other decks because you know the deck underperforms drastically because of things that we play in our play group, in our meta, in our pod, whatever terms you want to use. Right. Um, what do you find yourself doing in that respect? Yeah, I try really hard to not tinker for the playgroup. I try to build decks that I want to play. It does lead me to occasionally saying I just need to not play this deck in the playgroup and I'm only going to play this on special occasions. I'm only going to play it for, you know, the for the LGS for those type of things and it got to the point where at one point I built a Turgor deck because everybody else was playing i'm gonna steal your stuff so i said well i'm gonna have to build a deck to steal stuff and i played Mm -hmm. it once and i was like yeah this is not fun it's just it's not what i want to be doing and that at that point becomes why right why am i playing a game that i don't want to be playing a deck with 
and doing things I don't want to be. Why am you know why am I even here? And that is what you lead to. Well, now I don't want to play magic, and and right. that's where the danger comes, and that's where you do need to have those discussions with your play group. You do need to talk about, hey, what are we trying to do here? And if you do have a couple of folks who their whole goal in every game is to win, that probably needs to be discussed because they can't win every game. And if they do, and if that's their approach, they're going to get that CEDH level and add in the tutors, add in the counter spells, just add in the control to make sure that they are always winning. And that means that if one person's winning, there's three people effectively not. And if it's fully random, I think that's great. I think if it's if it's you know intentional, that can lead to um, toxicity within the team and within the meta, within the meta, so to speak. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. I think it you know it was an overall good discussion, one we've been having for a while now. And I think it's seeing playing somebody else's deck exposes you to what I actually like and what I don't like. I think most people only get that through pre-cons of I'm basically playing wizards idea of a deck and those are really well tuned. But I think we saw it with killing for the first time of, Hey Russ, I think this deck is pretty fun. Try it. You're like, yeah, no, that's not, that, that's not, it's, it's just not, you know, we couldn't find the word. It's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not fun. It's not that it doesn't win. It's just not right. And right. that not is me. It's just not me. And that right. I think is fair and fine to say. And at that point, okay, can you make it you, or is this just not a commander for you? And, right. you know, that's just a decision everybody needs to make for themselves. Right. And in our aspect, in what we're trying to accomplish with our deck building, making the deck me isn't necessarily where we want to go with it. With it. So, but yeah, but basically, just to kind of to sum up the idea of success is Killian, you know, just we'll take the Killian side. Killian did what you designed it to do. Roxa did what you designed it to do. So that, you know, it met that level of success. Both of the decks could win, you know, not the one in four, but they could win. Or we felt like maybe there was a, you know, a snowball's chance. You know, there's that aspect. There's, there's all these different things. So I think success is something that each player has to define for themselves. But I feel like it's definitely something that you should consider, you should think through, maybe talk about with your playgroups or with, you know, one of the the other players, like really kind of feel that out for yourself, because this is a game that's fun. You want it to stay fun. You don't want to get salty or become disenchanted with it because you don't really, you haven't explored within yourself as the player what's successful, what you feel like is being, accomplishing your goals. So but yeah, the baseball the baseball analogy is perfect. You know, nobody bats a thousand. You know, and, and and that that all fits in, right? You there's all the aspects that go go into that. So there's no easy way to say what makes a deck successful, other than does it do what you mean for it to do? Yeah, this was a great discussion. I think it's something that's been probably on you know on our docket for a while now. Ten episodes in, probably a very good number ten episode. You know, going back and forth a bit. But if anybody wants to get in touch with you on this, Russ, how can they do that? Um, you can find me at Twitter at virus25. It's V-Y-R-U-S-S-2-5. And I am on Twitter at nag83, N-A-G-8-3. And you can find both of us at MTG Bill Tinker or email us at mtgbuildandtinker at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>